And happy Mother's Day again. My name is uh, Jacob Yarbrough. I serve as one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church. And this morning I'm going to read uh, the scripture reading from today's message. And it's found in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And I invite you to join in with me as I read uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Jacob. This comes from Colossians chapter 2. I just want you to receive these words, this truth. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And all God's people say, Good morning again. Thank you for being here today. Uh, stay there in Colossians chapter 4. Today we'll unpack verses 2 through 6. And so uh, we're just kind of walking our way through the book of Colossians. Uh, the mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. That's what we're here for. And before we get in, I just want to recognize all the mothers and ladies in the room. Uh, what would we be as men without you? So thank you for um, trying your best to make us not knuckleheads. So, um, but we thank you for all the ways that you show love and care for us. Before we begin, I just want to seek the Lord in prayer, and then we will dive into Colossians chapter 4. Father, we thank you for the many blessings in our life. We thank you for the ladies and the women and mothers in our lives. Uh, even if they're with you, Lord, we remember them, and we thank you for giving them to us, and what a blessing our mothers are to us. And uh, just thank you for your word this morning. May it be clear or may we just look at our own lives, not in um, a guilt or shaming sense, but Lord, just an honest, sincere sense, and just looking ourselves in the mirror and trying to become more and more like your son, Lord, being sanctified, become progressively holier and holier in our lives. And Lord, I just pray for this morning that we would look at our speech and the way we talk as you have uh, unpacked for us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior, I pray that your Spirit of God would open their eyes to the truth and that they would behold that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that you would come to them and they would believe. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have your Bible today. We're going to unpack Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6. That's where we're going to go today. And what Paul really talks about today are, is this thing right here. Is your lips, your tongue, your teeth, your, your, your mouth, what we, what we say. I mean, you think about, it's actually very fitting that Paul talks about our speech because 
What has he talked about in Colossians chapter 3? We'll get into this a little bit more in just a moment. But he's really just talked about the practical nature of our lives. In the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, he's talked about our thought life. That since we have been raised with Christ, amen, since we are new creation, since we are made alive, we should think on that and not this. And then Paul talks about putting off the old nature, taking off the old self or the old man. And literally in the original he's kill it. Okay, stab it to death, take it off, never to be seen again, and then put on the new, to put on love and compassion towards one another, forgiving each other. And so it seems fitting to me that the last kind of application that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 4 is our speech, living the new life in speech. All right, how many of you have ever asked this question before? What do I say? We ask this question all the time. This question plagues us constantly. Before you ask somebody out on a date, okay, when you go on that date, what do I say? When you see a grieving widow or widower, what do I say? You know, what do I say when I have to speak for a living? This is what I ask this question like literally every day of every week for the last six years. What do I even say to my people? You know, we ask this question again and again and again. We all wonder, this is a huge stressor in our life, why? You know, why is this question so important and so asked in our minds all the time? It's because we realize how important words really are. I mean, as my friend would say, Brian Rose, he says, words create worlds. You know, as a kid on the playground, we would hear, what, sticks and stones don't break my bones, but words will never hurt me, or will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think I said that wrong. Um, But we know as adults that that's simply just not true, that some of the most important moments in our life were not from the experience, but the words that people say. You track with me on that? Both good and bad. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the day that my, my dad, some 19 years ago in the depot, right here on this property, told me that I should start dating my wife, future wife, Laurel, in case she wasn't my wife then. But as like a 19-year-old, my dad was like, hey, that Laurel over there, you should, uh, you know. And then it just, that changed my life forever. You know, I remember the day that the words were spoken that I heard for the very first time that I was, wait, I was meant to have a relationship with God. That as a Christian, it's not just about going through the motions, it's not just about peering a certain way, but it's actually walking with God and having an intimate relationship with Him. Words create worlds. Words in our life really, truly make a difference. I came across a poem this week about words. Maybe I felt sophisticated that day. Okay. It's a mere eight lines, but I think it kind of summarizes words. Speak Kindly in the morning when you are leaving home and give the day a lighter heart into the work to roam, into the week to roam. Leave kind words as mementos to be handled and caressed. Watch the noontime hour arrive in gold and tinsel dressed. So words create worlds. Words are very important. And Jesus even understood this also. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus took it even to another level. If you have your text, you can go there. I'm just going to kind of swoop in and swoop out. He's talking to the Pharisees here, and Jesus says to them, You brood of vipers. Ouch. Um, How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks, but out of that which fills the heart, 
The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word, it's a high, it's a high bar here, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. But by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All right. Words create worlds. As a matter of fact, it's the last thing to go in our sanctification process, according to James chapter 3, verse 2. We all realize that our speech matters. Our words matter. They either have the power to break down or the power to build up. So we've all asked this question probably every day of our lives, before we go into an important meeting, before we go into a job interview, what do I even say in this particular circumstance? Well, Paul today in our passage tells us what to say. As new creations, as new beings, as people whose sin has been bought and paid in full and been moved and set out of the way, as people that have been justified as new creations, Paul is addressing us, and this is his question. As a new creation, what do I say? And what we see in our text in Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6, we have two particular groups of people that Paul gives us some practical advice for. Our speech to God in prayer, and then our speech to non-believers, those in our life that do not know Christ. Paul talks about these two groups of people. So if you have your Bible, Colossians 4, today we'll go from 2, verse 2 to verse 6. And they give you a brief preview of kind of where we're going as a whole. Colossians 4.2, Paul gives us two tips on prayer. Colossians 4.3-4, Paul gives us two tips on proclaiming the gospel. And then 5-6, through six, Paul gives us two things in our daily conduct and conversations. So that's kind of where we are going this morning. But since um, I didn't really do this last week, I would kind of just like to set the stage I do this very often, and I'm sorry if it gets tiring, and you can check your email at this moment if you want to. It's cool. I won't judge. Just a little bit. Um, So what I would like to do is just set the stage for our discussion today. I would like to kind of review where we have come in this book. And if you've been here, we've kind of worked our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the very beginning of this book to the very end. And we only have one more week. No hallelujahs, amens? Okay. We only have one more week left in this book. We will finish it up next week. And what we have seen is that there are three main pieces of the book of Colossians. You have the introduction, chapter 1, 1 through 2, is where Paul talks about himself. He introduces himself. Moving on. Then you have the doctrine section, 1, 3 through 2, 4. And that section of scripture is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. And then what Paul does in the application section is he helps us apply the doctrine that he just got done unpacking in chapter 1. What were some of the doctrines that Paul talked about in chapter 1? Man, for the Father, what does it say, qualified us. He made us fit. And then he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Amen? That now because of the blood of Christ that we are reconciled to God. And what are we called as a consequence of his perfect sufficient sacrifice? We are called holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That is the doctrine of chapter 1 and the beginning of 2-4. And then Paul in chapter 2-5 begins to unpack the application. And then in chapter 3, Paul, and then really through 4-6... 
He zooms in on us as new creations. In verse 1, since we have been raised with Christ, how then should we live? Living as a new creation or new self, this is chapter 3. This really comes as four different parts of chapter 3. The first thing is we should live the new self in thought, in our mind, what we think about on a daily basis. And what are we supposed to do as new created beings? We are to think on that where Christ is and not on this in the chaos that is this world. Amen. It's a disaster out there. Okay. So we are to live the new self in thought. And then he goes into then taking off the old self. Remember in verse 5 and verse 8, he gives us a list of five different things that it looks like to live the old self. Impurity, immorality, slander, malice, anger. Paul says, kill it. Put it away. Put it off of you. For you are a new creation. The old ways of life no longer have power over you. Then the third thing he talks about is then put on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. Remember, it's clothing terms here. Clothe yourself in what? Love and compassion. And the fourth thing he talks about in chapter 4 is to live the new self in our homes. As I talked about last week, and I'm glad you came back this week. Thank you. Um, wasn't so sure I'd be here by myself or not. At homes, what does he say? He addresses six different groups of people. Wives be devoted, husbands be loving, fathers be wise, children be obedient, employees be loyal, and bosses be fair. And it's fitting, in my opinion, that Paul finishes out this application section with how do we live in speech, living the new self in speech, what we actually say. And Paul doesn't begin just with our day-to-day speech. Paul begins talking about what we say in our relationship with God in prayer. And it seems very fitting. One commentator says this, It is fitting that Paul begins Colossians 4.2 with prayer, talking about praying to God. Because, as a Christian, it is the most important speech the new man can utter. Prayer is the strength of the believer's fellowship with the Lord and the source of his power against Satan and his angels. So the first point today, if you have your notes, if you're tracking along with me, living the new nature in speech, we are to pray with alertness and with thanksgiving. We are to pray. We'll talk about what that is. And then how are we to pray with alertness and with thanksgiving? That's the first point today, and it's found in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Excuse me, let me move this back just a hair so I don't get the stained glass reflecting on it. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you notice here in your text, verse 2, you have the, the, the primary command of this verse. These four words, devote yourself to prayer, and then the how-tos. Keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. The word devote here uh, gives the idea, and literally it means to continue in. The word itself means to continue to do what you're doing. Continue in, and then the present tense gives us the idea of continuing action. So Paul is, in a sense, double-emphasizing that we are to continue in and of ourselves to pray. And one scholar says this, praying at all times, but what does it mean to pray without ceasing, devote yourself to prayer, constantly continuing that One scholar says praying at all times is not necessarily limited to constant vocalization of prayers to God. Rather, it refers to being God-conscious throughout our day. Okay, what? 
It doesn't mean, when we look at this phrase, it's similar to the verse that says, pray without ceasing. Paul is not necessarily saying, go lock yourself in a monastery or in a closet and never stop uttering words with your mouth to God. What he's saying is, is just be conscious of God as you live your life, as you pray, as you pray in the morning, as you pray in your car, as you are trying to be alert to what the Lord is doing. That's kind of the idea that Paul is giving to us here in Colossians 4.2. But um, let's just answer the question, what is prayer? What, what do we even mean by that? There's been a lot of different thoughts and different definitions, but kind of on this baseline thinking, the word prayer in the original language is the Greek word prosukomai. Okay. Um, it actually is two different words. It's two different words smashed together. Process to or towards and ukomai is a request or a vow. So prayer is coming towards or coming to God with a vow or with a request. And there are different types of prayer. You know, prayer in a sense is just speaking to God. That's all it is. We overcomplicate things, especially in this town, all right? Much respect to you guys who send rockets to the moon and things like that. All right, I would, my rocket would go, okay. Uh, thank you for overcomplicating things in this, in this town. That's good. But we just have a tendency to overcomplicate even the thought of prayer. Prayer is simple, friends. It is speaking with God. But keep in mind, it's not just a one-way road. It's not just a list of, okay, God, I want this, and I want that, and I want this as a kid. You know, that's how I prayed. But it's also listening to the Lord, looking for him and his answers in your daily life. There are different types of prayer. Uh, there's a conversation with God that we see in Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Sometimes prayer is repentance, confessing or sin to God, seen in Psalm 51. Sometimes Prayer is resting in the presence of God, seen in John chapter 6. Sometimes prayer is finding direction, Mark chapter 1. Sometimes it's making a request. Sometimes it's giving the Lord our burdens and the weights of our soul. But in its most basic thought, it is a conversation with God. One person added this. True prayer often involves struggling and grappling with God. Showing to him the deepest concerns of one heart. Prayer is to be a persistent, courageous struggle from which the believer may come away limping. But let's just answer the question. You know, prayer, as we know, is all over the New Testament. It's talked about constantly in Pauline literature, constantly in the Gospels. But why is it important? You know, why we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit inside of us, why is prayer important? Um, let me just ask you a question. What is the most, okay, let me back up. How many of you are married or ever have been married in the room? Okay, thank you. What is the most important part of marriage? Communicating. Any other people in the room have ever gotten an argument with their spouse for lack of communication? Guess what? That makes you normal, Okay. It's, it, let me just say, just like communication in a marriage, actually speaking words and communicating non-verbally and verbally is required for a healthy marriage. It's the same with our relationship with God. That it is requirement of a healthy relationship with God to actually speak with him on a daily basis. It is impossible to walk with God without a sense of prayer. But then notice here, 
Paul gives us a kind of couple tips on how do we pray. So we know why it's important, what it is. But then Paul gives us an idea. And what Jesus kind of added to this. He says, do not merely repeat like the hypocrites do. We know that prayer is a little bit diff- more than this or how to do this. But this is kind of some tips he gives. How do we pray? Number one, we keep alert in prayer. Um, how many of you have ever been bored praying before? Yeah, that makes you normal. Um, years ago, they used to have a half, a pastor's half day of prayer around here. And it was like, it was a half day. I mean, you would, you would literally go lock yourself in a closet somewhere on campus and you would pray. And it's a good thing. I'm not criticizing that in the slightest. I'm just criticizing myself. Cause after about, five, this is the day before smartphones. Okay. So I couldn't entertain myself so easily. All right. But I, I remember just in about five or ten minutes being like, okay, what, what, what do I do now? Um, what does Paul say? He says, keep alert in prayer. But let's just talk about this. How do we keep alert in prayer? How do we pay attention during prayer? I'm going to give you a couple of different ideas. Number one, I would encourage you to journal. Have you ever familiar with journaling? Uh, journaling is a written prayer to God. It's not Dear Diary or Dear John. It's none of that stuff. It is just a simple prayer to God. What I find amazing about journaling is it keeps my attention, but also allows me to look for how the Lord is working. Tip number two for keeping awake or keeping alert. Number Tip number two is realize who we're talking to. Realize who we're talking to. How many, you don't have to raise your hand to this. It's not, uh, confession time here to Byron Bradshaw. Um, how many of you have ever been, uh, at dinner with your spouse and ever, you're at Outback Steakhouse or wherever you like to go and you just fall asleep at the table? Pro- probably not. And if you did, <laughs> then you never forgot that moment. But why don't we fall asleep at dinner? You might fall asleep in a movie, but why do you not fall asleep at dinner with your spouse? Because you realize who they are, that they're important to you. Tip number two is just remember who you're talking about. And number three is realize the sense of urgency. Keep alert, looking for God's answers to your prayer. Friends, can I just say something real quick? Um, I think God answers our prayers all the time. And we just don't even notice. You know, um, imagine being God. All the good things and all the answers to prayer he gives us in our life, and then we just ignore them. Okay, <laughs> all right. Imagine you'd be like, uh, lightning bolt on Byron. Um, I think God is trying to show us, to speak to us constantly. And I think he answers our prayers One of the things I would encourage you to do is journal because you're looking for answers from your prayer and you have evidence of what you asked for. So Paul gives us the idea of how do we pray with alertness, continually ongoing, pray without ceasing. We keep alert and we keep with an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, This is all over Pauline literature. I think it's in chapter 2 of this book, but it's also the whole book of Philippians is talked about joy or the sense of thanksgiving. Can I just say something? We in America are too grumpy. Amen? Man, we have the greatest material possessions in all the world. That tells you it doesn't bring happiness, right? We all have a sense of grumpiness. and, And friends, as Christians, what has God done for us? He has reconciled us to the Father. He has made us holy and blameless and beyond reproach that His Son's sacrifice was sufficient so our certificate of debt was taken out of the way. We are qualified, rescued, and transferred. 
if we come before God in prayer, we should look for his answers. Keep alert, but we should also have an attitude of thanksgiving. Amen? How do we have an attitude of thanksgiving? We, let me just ask you the question. When are you thankful in life? You're thankful at Thanksgiving time. Why? Because you remember the blessings in your life. If you want to be, have an attitude of thanksgiving in your prayers, just remember what God has done for you. Read the book of Colossians. Paul says, continue to devote yourselves in prayer, watching for the answers of the Lord in your life and have an attitude of thanksgiving. But then, um, Paul changes his audience who we're supposed to speak to. So, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, our speech to God in prayer. And then in 3 and 4, he talks about our speech to non-believers, our opportunities to share the gospel. That when it comes to, let me just ask you the question, when it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to talking to a non-believer in your family or on the street or maybe in church, um, what, what are the two biggest stressors that you face? What do I say and when do I say it? Do I just grab a megaphone and just force everybody to listen to me at Big Spring Jam, if that's even a thing anymore? Okay, how do I, what do I say, and when do I say it? But Paul gives us that answer, verse 3. Point number two is this, live the new self in speech. Proclaim with boldness, if you have your notes, proclaim the gospel to non-believers with boldness and with clarity. And this is what he says in verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well. Friends, it's not a problem to ask for prayers you should ask for prayers for yourself but then notice what he prays for notice the word that it gives the reason why paul requests prayer that god will open to us a door for the word this is the result of that so that we may speak forth the mystery of christ verse 4 for which i have also been in prison that another reason that i may make clear in the way i ought to speak so what are the two reasons why paul requests for prayer well number one for an opportunity to share the gospel and then number two that he would actually make it clear paul requests prayers for an open door as you read in verse 3 and 4, where is Paul? Paul is in prison in Rome, and he doesn't let that slow him down. Let me, let me just pause for just a second. Wait, Paul is in prison in Rome because he appealed to Caesar at the end of the book of Acts, and he writes four prison epistles in that time period, the two years in Rome. He writes Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon, correct? Check me as scholars in the room. Okay, off the top of my head. And wait. He prays from prison that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. I found, I was in my study, and you know the Lord answers this exact prayer? Paul is in prison in Rome. He's asking for opportunities to talk to the Praetorian guard or the people around him to present the gospel to them. And guess what? God answers this exact prayer. Philippians chapter 1 says this. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. I find that interesting that we have the completed canon and only now can we really look back and see how God has actually answered this 
exact prayer. Paul is sitting in prison, and he doesn't let prison slow him down. I think a lot of us, let's just be honest, when we encounter problems in life, the last thing we really want to do is share about Jesus. We, we, eh, mm, eh, God disappointed me. I'm a um, back burner. Paul here is open, asking for open doors, and the Lord gets it to him, and the Lord answers this exact prayer. So we should pray for open doors, that we should be bold enough to walk through them. I think part of the stress of evangelism, as I've already said, is, is when do I speak about Jesus? You know, maybe you have a non-believing child that comes over to your house for Christmas, or maybe you have a non-believing worker. Maybe you understand how to present the gospel, but some of the biggest stressor is when, you know, when do I share about Jesus? We don't have to really stress about that. We should just pray for the opportunity, and when the opportunity presents itself, take it. Maybe they come to you with a question. Maybe you just have a prompting of the Spirit to begin to share about Jesus Christ. So Paul says to be bold, open to us the door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. And this is the end of verse 4. For which I have also been imprisoned doesn't let prison slow him down from sharing his faith, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Um, who is Paul? Paul is the smartest guy that has ever lived, I think. You go read the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians, and you will feel about this big. Okay, right. And, he's, and if anybody understands the gospel, it's this guy. I mean, he wrote a whole 16 chapters about the gospel called the book of Romans. And Paul here is saying that he's requesting prayer for to make it clear. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So Paul is praying for opportunities and also for clarity. It's okay. You know what? Let me just ask the question. What are the three basic components of the gospel? The three Basic components of the gospel. They all start with S. They all alliterate because I'm a preacher. That's what we do, okay? First thing is sin. Without an understanding of your sin and the depravity of your mind and of your life and in the world as a whole, you will not understand your need for the gospel, amen? So the first one is sin. Second one is Savior. That Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. And the third one is salvation. That how are we saved? By placing our faith in Christ alone. That there's not enough good works that we can stack on top of ourselves to make our way into heaven. That's the three basic components of the gospel. Sin, Savior, and salvation. But then we have to kind of customize the gospel for our audience. You track with me? You have to be able to draw it in a way that makes it make sense. I mean, that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman at the well. The basic tenet of the gospel was the same, but it was presented to them in a different way to make it make sense. Those are the three basic components. So we should pray, number one, for opportunities, and number two, for clarity. And then he turns to all people, but I specifically think he's talking about non-believers, and this is where I'm going to camp the rest of our time. Point number three is this, to live the new self in speech and what we say, portioning out. We'll talk about we are seasoned with salt, giving away, portioning out wisdom and grace is the third point in your notes. And this is what he talks about in verse five. 
Notice here, this is the primary command again. So there's a few different commands he has. But then conduct yourself. This doesn't seem fitting to me. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so you will know how you should respond to each person. So wait a second. Paul is going along, going along, going along, going along, talking about speech and praying to God and and sharing for opportunities and making it clear. And then all of a sudden, verse 5, he just changes. And... He, he talks about conduct yourself with wisdom. And then verse 6, he talks back speech again. Why? Why does Paul, all of a sudden in verse 5, talk about our conduct? The word conduct here, friends, is the Greek word, I think it's peripateo, which means to walk. Literally, walk with wisdom. Sophia. So day to day, how you live to non-believers, towards outsiders, we should walk with wisdom. What does the scripture say? Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then he also says in the same passage in Matthew 5 that we are the salt of the earth. That the way we live our lives should create thirst for the things of God. Can I, um, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I think that's exactly why Paul inserts verse 5. How many of you have ever known a Christian that confesses Jesus Christ, that believes in Jesus, that goes to church every Sunday morning, and they give Ebenezer Scrooge a run for his money? Track on me? What does that communicate to, to, to outsiders? I, I don't want what they got. Okay. Yeah, he might go to church, but I think that's why Paul inserts this, friends. Because we can pray for opportunities, and we should pray for opportunities. We can present the gospel clearly. But if we don't conduct ourselves with wisdom and with love, our witnessing is void. People won't listen to us. If we come out there and tell them to get off your lawn, and then you present Jesus with a gospel track. I mean, I remember, I was, um, tell you a quick story. I was in college, and I wanted to go to ministry. I wanted to go to seminary. That was already decided. I was heading that way. And I was waiting tables right up here at Outback Steakhouse, right on Whitesburg Drive with uh, beautiful hair. I just need to grieve that. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm waiting on this table. It's Sunday afternoon. You know, they're all, these people are all dressed up, so I know they came from church, right? And so then I'm, I'm waiting at this table. I'm 20 years old, and this guy hands me this little gospel track. And, and he says, this is the greatest tip I could ever give you. And, and, I, and I'm like, man, no, I'm a believer in Jesus. Yeah, I get it, right? And it was, like a, it was like a $100 bill tab, and he left me like six bucks. You know, maybe I just didn't do a good job that day. Um, but the message was clear. If I wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what I would do with that gospel track? I take it and I throw it away. Because their conduct did not match their message. They didn't walk in a way with wisdom towards outsiders. Friends, listen to me. People are watching us. Whether you think they are or not, they look at your life. And they say, do I want what they have? There are three different ways to share the gospel, friends. With our life, let your 
Life shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. With your life, with your love, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And then with your lingo or with your words. He, Romans chapter 10. Those are the three ways we share the gospel. But the, I think the reason why Paul inserts this is, that, you know, you can look for opportunities. But if your conduct is not with wisdom and kindness and love towards outsiders... It's going to be difficult for you to reach them. Um, I was getting an illustration on this particular uh, principle or verse. I worked in Dallas, Texas. I worked for two years in inner city ministry. And um, I worked with just inner city kids right there, you know, and talk about an eye-opening experience to me. I mean, you know, these kids just grew up totally different than I did. I remember the very first day I worked there with inner city kids, I had an iPhone that I just bought as a poor seminary student, right? And I set it down. Bad mistake. <laughs> okay. And then it like just disappeared. And I was like, wait a second. And now talk about a rude awakening that I had that day. But I worked there for two years and I estimated that 75% of those kids that I worked with did not live with their biological father. And I estimated that 25% of those kids never even met their father. You know, so what are they asking? Here's this guy named Byron who grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, the son of an engineer. I never starved to death. I never had want or need. And, you know, I had everything taken care of for me. I had a great mom, a great mom and a great father. And what are these kids asking me? Because I'm a male, particularly in their culture. They said, can I trust you? Can I trust you? I worked there for two years. It took me one year just to build enough credibility to be able to speak into their life. Friends, listen, the people in the world are watching us. And what do they see? Do we conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity? And this is where he closes in verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, kindness, unmerited favor, as though seasoned with salt, what I take that to mean is that we are meant to create thirst in the way we live, in the way we talk. Create thirst for the things of God so that you will know how you should respond to each person. We are to portion out. We are to live, conduct ourselves with wisdom and with grace. How can we speak with grace? Um, I'm going to give you seven ideas. These are from Byron's flawed mind, but this is... Seven ideas on how to speak with grace. Number one, not to be overly critical of other people. Not to gossip, not to be overly critical. Number two, not be boastful about ourselves. Ever met somebody that brags about themselves all the time? Okay, it's kind of distasteful. Moving on. Number three, complimentary, not condemning. Number four, laughing over snarling. Number five, be kind over being rude. Number six, Putting others before yourself is a way that we speak with grace. Number seven is simple, having a smile on your face. Our conduct really does matter. The people in the world are looking at our lives. And they're saying to themselves, do I want what they have? And by the way that we live, with either with wisdom or with grace or the lack thereof, they will make their choice. Friends. If we're going to speak to non-believers, let us also have our lives that match it. Can I just say something, too? I get it. You're human. We're not perfect. I get it, man. Hey, man, I got plenty of problems, okay? Just, you know, talk to my family about that. I got plenty of problems. 
But when you mess up in the world, what is so lacking in the world? Can I just say, um, if you mess up in the world and you know that person is watching you and seeing if they want what you got. I've had people say that in the world, in corporate America. They watched me. And you mess up. What should you do? Apologize, okay? How many of you have ever had a boss ever mess up and never apologize? Okay, that's very lacking in our world. You're not claimed to be perfect, but just be mindful. And that when we mess up, which you will, that's just normal, friends. It's just apologize. So in speech, we should pray with alertness, pray with thanksgiving. We should proclaim boldly and clearly, and we should portion out with our life wisdom and grace. That's good and all, but what about that? You know, so what? How does this apply to my life? You know, I got to the end of this sermon this week, and, and I, I asked myself this question, you know, what, so what, Byron? How does it work in your life? And so this is what I decided to do. I jotted down four questions that I asked myself, and I'm going to give you those four questions that, this morning to kind of give us a mirror, a way to look at ourselves. These are the four questions. The first thing I'm going to get you to do is to answer these four questions in a journal. I've already talked about that this morning. A journal is simply a prayer to God. It's taking a 8 by 11 sheet of paper and jotting down a prayer to the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to do two things, to, or one thing. Pray or, through a journal two times this week and answer these four questions. Question number one, and these are on the back of your note sheet if you don't have time to jot them down. Question number one in our speech to God is, what are my requests? What are my requests? I think sometimes we think that we feel a little bit guilty coming before the throne of grace to make our requests be made known to God, but the Lord wants us to do that. I just quoted a Bible verse literally in Philippians 4, 7. Make your request be made known to God. The Lord wants us to come with our requests to him. He asks us to. It's okay to tell God what you need and what you want. You don't have to feel guilty about that. He's not too busy. He's the infinite sovereign God of the universe. He don't get busy. He just... Okay. So, number one, what are my requests in your journal? What are my requests? What are the things in my life going on that I need help with or clarity? Question number two is this. How are you trying to speak to me? Be alert. Watch. Be mindful that the Lord is answering your prayer Question number three is this, Lord, who do you want me to speak to about Jesus? Where are the open doors in four, chapter 4, verse 3? And then question number four is, who is someone in my life that I need to display wisdom and grace to? Who, in a sense, is watching the way I live? And what are they seeing about Jesus? To some of us here today, it's our children. Some of us are coworkers. Some of us are parents. Some of us are brothers and sisters. But you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Somebody is watching you right now, especially if you claim the cross of Christ. And since we are the salt of the earth, we are to create a sense of thirst for the things of God. So we should conduct ourselves with grace and with wisdom. As a new creation, what do we say? Living the new self in speech, pray, proclaim with boldness, and portion wisdom and grace. Um. If you do not know Christ Jesus as Savior, hopefully um, I'm living with salt and creating thirst. I, hopefully I do that as well. Um, but if you do not know Christ Jesus, he came and he died for your sin. Your sin separates you from God for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, and because of our sin, we, are, we have a severed relationship with God. 
But then God sent a Savior. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be a sufficient sacrifice, to pay for my sin in full. And then if you, you are saved by faith in Christ Jesus, if you have never, let me just ask, you don't have to, you don't, if you, if you, if you've watched a YouTube video while I've preached today, it's cool. Just make sure you have AirPods in. Okay, so I can't tell. Um, if you've paid attention to nothing else, pay attention to this. If you do not have a relationship with God, if you are not born again, if you are not saved, then today is a great opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to take a moment and to pray before the Lord, confessing your sins to him and receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for just this, this practical reminder about what we say. Lord, in our prayer life, Lord, may we be alert. May we just pay attention to what you're doing and what you're saying to us in return. May we be thankful. Lord, in our uh, proclaiming of the gospel, may we be bold, looking for opportunities, and may we be clear when the opportunity comes. And Lord, with our daily life, as we live with non-believers and with believers alike, Lord, may we portion out wisdom and grace. And Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the generosity and the faithfulness of these people. I thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary Bible Church. Lord, I stand humbled in all of the ways that you're working in amongst this church. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be the pastor of this church. And I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for the love that they show to you and to one another, and may that continue. And Lord, for those that do not know you as Savior, may you open their eyes to the truth, and they believe in you. In Jesus' name, 